Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's nice of you all to join us today. Thank you for coming. Welcome to those online as well. A couple of initial things. First, we mentioned last week children's choir. And so there will be, if you want, if you have questions or want to meet about that, come up front here after the service and talk to Sadie Sanfilippo. Uh, and then Amy Krause, would you come up for a moment? So hello, those of you who don't know me, my name is Amy Krause, and I was supposed to travel with the Agries to Africa in April. If uh, you guys were wondering, we're going to Africa. Um, when I say we, I mean you and us, and I'm traveling with Vania and the children in for the month of December, which is super cool. Um, Dennis is there already. He's kind of traveling around the continent, um, learning. And so there's a big conference um, in Africa in December, and there will be 800 Africans in this building that was erected when we were there four years ago, which is super amazing. So I'm hoping to do um, some dental stuff and also help get ready for the conference. Um, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You guys are amazing, generous, faithful givers. Um, all of my finances are, are paid for for the trip um, that was supposed to take place in April. So thank you. Keep praying um, for Africa, for, for CRCA, um, the Agri's, um, and as we travel. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you, Amy. And then Scott, there's Scott, is going to read some motions for us. Good morning. So as a representative of the Elder Board, again, we are voting next week, so I'm going to read the motions that we are going to be uh, voting on. I want you to be well aware of them. First motion is to approve the Washera Community Church's 2023 proposed budget of $534,038.67. So that'll be a vote. Vote two will be a motion to make an internal transfer of $89,000 from the unreserved funds of the of the general fund to the building maintenance fund, which is a designated fund. Um, and the last one, of course, is a motion to go to a single Sunday morning worship gathering to be followed by a dedicated Sunday school hour for all ages starting on Sunday of January 1st of 2023. So those are our three motions. Um, November 6th is the time that we will do that. And then if I can have both of our pastors come up, Adam and Robert. So... Uh, October is we do pastor appreciation, and so we wanted to take a moment and uh, do that right here, right now. So um, if I look in um, God's Word, First Timothy, it says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. These two guys do this very well. So... We want to appreciate them for their efforts, and also the congregation has um, taken a love offering. There's a gift and a card for each of you. So we are very, very thankful from the elder board and from this church body. Amen? Why don't we go ahead and just pray, pray over these two guys? 
So Father God, Lord, I just thank you for Robert. I thank you for his willingness to serve over the years in any shape or form that you have uh, directed him to. He's done well. And Father God, I know that someday when he stands before you, you're going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And for Adam, I thank you that he's stepped in and he's leading us as a church family right now. Thank you for the gifts that he has as well. Father, you bless the people that he comes in contact with through the gifts that he has. Father, may you just uh, continue to do a good work in and through him and for his time with us. We praise things to your son, Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And now, if the ushers would come up. Dear Lord, we thank you for our day. Thank you for the people that you have put in place here, both pastors and worship team, the office staff, everyone, everyone who can, the congregation, the people that contribute to this church. Thank you for the many ways you've blessed us. And may we use all of our resources wisely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, wow, what a great morning. The ladies did a fantastic job leading us this morning, didn't they? Yeah. Wow. We are in First Peter, First Peter chapter 4. And uh, if, you, if you wanted a... a a sheet this morning. The elders have some, and if you just raise your hand, those are just the things that are on the on the board up here this morning. And uh, I've called this sermon "Engagement." Engagement, and the subtitle of it is "The Red Zone." Now we know what that is in football, don't we? The red zone. The red zone. When you're in the red zone, when you're in that 20 yards before you get to the end zone, uh, it, it doesn't matter if you're on offense or defense. It doesn't matter which, which side of the ball that you're playing on. Um, there's a whole other mindset that goes on uh, w- whichever way. If you're trying to get the ball into the end zone or you're trying to keep the ball from getting into the end zone, there's, there's engagement that happens at an intense level within those 20 yards. And that's that's why they call it the red zone. Well, I, I want to explain to you this morning, I think that's what Peter is saying to the first century Gentile Christians that he's writing to, is I want to hopefully graphically even show you they're in the red zone. They're in the red zone, and they need to engage. They need to engage in the red zone. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. I'm going to skip by here first. I want to do a review first. Last week, last week, Peter we brought back up again that he was saying those who are saved, those who are saved are to perform good deeds. And he said this over and over again throughout the book of 1 Peter. This is not what saves you, but those who are saved are saved to do good deeds. So he talked about that one. Then the second one he's talked about is that those that are saved are to have a good defense, a good defense. We have when asked, we, we speak um, of the hope that is within us, the hope that is within us, and we do it with gentleness and respect. And of course, that hope that with, is within us is Jesus Christ. 
is Jesus Christ. So he, he says that over and over again in 1 Peter, that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then last week, we added to that, that last one. Those who are saved are to die a good death. Die a good death. Because he's writing to first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted, and some of their friends, some of their friends have died because of persecution. They have died because they held to the faith of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. They have not succumbed to that of going that Caesar is Lord. And so they, they have watched some of their friends die. And what Peter says to them is that even their death, even their death is a witness of who I am, of who Jesus is, of who Jesus is. Uh, I ended it with the gospel was preached. The gospel was preached to those that are gone to be preached to others. So this is, a, this is a heavy thing that he lays on them, that not only are our deeds to be good, not only are our words to be good in the sense of a good defense, but even our death, we are to die a good death in the name of Jesus Christ. So at, usually what Peter does is after he has that, um, he weighs a heavy thing down on you, then he says, okay, let's talk practically about this. Let's talk what are the practical things that we need to be doing. So now let's go to that passage of Scripture, and let me read it in its entirety first. So we're in first chapter, first Peter chapter 4, verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. It is precious to us. Thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture that we can walk through. We pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us in your truth this day. And we are so thankful that we do have a defense. We do have a hope. And that hope is in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. I want to show you um, uh, this little diagram. This diagram has really helped me understand um, the Bible, and especially the New Testament, when it talks about time in the New Testament. And if you got one of these sheets, too, you'll see there's a big open spot here, because that's so you can draw on there, because you might want to add to your diagram. But this diagram goes like this. You've got this age, horizontal line, this age, the age that we're presently in, this age. Then there's a vertical line going up. And then there's another horizontal line at a higher level there it, that is the age to come. So we have this age that we're presently in, and then there's some type of event that leads into the age to come, the age to come. Now that vertical event, that vertical event is the coming of the Lord. That's the, the switch over from this age to the age to come. Now let me show you that with some scriptures because Peter starts this off with, the end of all things is at hand. 
He says the end of all things are at hand. So this, this age, we're coming to the vertical because this age, the end of it is at hand and what's coming next is the age to come. So just, I'm going to fly through these verses. I'm going to throw them up here so you can see where I find this, where we see this in the New Testament. Matthew 12, 32 says, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age, you see it, or the age to come. They looked at it that way, this age and the age to come. Luke 20, 34, and Jesus said to them, the sons of this age, this age, marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age, there's the age to come, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. So again, you see how they talk about this age, and then there's an age to come. One more, Ephesians 1.21 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, and of course he's talking about Jesus there, not only in this age, but what? But also in the one to come, the one to come. So that's how the scripture, that's how they would look at mapping out time. There's this age, and then there's the coming of the Lord, and then there's an age to come. So there's that graphic again. Now, another term that is associated with this, is, as you read your Bible, is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So how does the kingdom of God work into the diagram that we have? Well, let me go through a few more verses here. Luke 17, 20 and 21, now having been questioned by the Pharisees of when the kingdom of God was coming, he, Jesus, answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look here or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's in your midst. So the kingdom of God is connected to Jesus' first coming. He's saying the kingdom of God is in your midst because Jesus is there now. Let me go to the next one. Luke, Mark 1, 15 says, and saying, Jesus speaking here, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. So he's connecting this term kingdom of God with his very, with Jesus' very presence there. Third one here. Lost power. I'm out of power. Click me. Oh, there we go. Thanks. And when Jesus saw that he had answered thoughtfully, he's talking to the man who asked the question, what's the greatest commandments? He said to him, you are not far from what? The kingdom of God. After that, no one would dare ask him any more questions. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we are also talking about when Jesus is here his first time. So, yeah, I'm. I'm out of power or something, guys. You're going to have to click for me. Now we've got a different diagram up here. Thanks, Mark. Um, now we've got the this age, and then we realize that, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's, there's something significant that happens before the vertical to the age to come. And what it was was the first coming of Jesus Christ. So that's signified by the cross that's on there. So we have his first coming, and now we see that that vertical line is Jesus' second coming. And I've got a dotted line above the top there. That dotted line shows us that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, uh, stretches over 
into this age and also into the age to come. So there's parts of the kingdom of God that are already, we're already experiencing it because Jesus has come, but there are some points that are, that are not yet because the age to come hasn't happened yet. So when last week when Peter said, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, what he's talking about is that little red box. And that's the red zone. That's the zone that we are in. That's the place of engagement that we are in. We're in between when Christ has come the first time and Christ coming the second time. And Peter is going to tell us how we are to live in that time. Now, one last phrase here is the last days, because that, that's tied to this whole concept. First Peter chapter, or first John 2:18, John says, "Children, it is the last hour." Just as you've heard, Antichrist is coming, and even now, more many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that we are in the last hour, or the red. We are know we are in the red zone. We're in the red zone. First Peter chapter twenty. We've done this one for Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in these last times for the sake of you. So you realize that when Jesus came, he not only ushered in the kingdom of God, but he also ushered in what we would call the last times, the end times. Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. This is Peter giving that great sermon on the day of Pentecost, and he's explaining to them what's going on, and he pulls back all the way into the Old Testament, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, that it shall be in the last days. And Peter's looking at what has happened in his day as another indication that they were in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And that's what happened at Pentecost. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So let me go back to this diagram again. You've got this age and there's an age to come. But... In this age, Jesus has come the first time, signified by the cross. And he ushered in the kingdom of God, and he ushered also in the last times. And he's, he is saying that red zone is where we're at right now. And we are waiting for the what? The second coming of Christ, when all will be fulfilled. We're already in it, but not everything is yet to be fulfilled. And when Peter is speaking about this, he is only 30 years out from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when he wrote this letter, is about 30 years out. But, and he's speaking with such urgency about it. But how many years out are we from the cross now? Yeah, roughly 2,000, 2,000 years out. And, and we still read the Bible such urgency about the coming of the Lord that we're in the red zone, the zone of engagement. I think it's really interesting that Peter deals with this just 30 years out from Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you have your scripture journal, you can flip right to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'm, I'm going to read a bit of this. It says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind. Now, remember that, mind, by way of reminder. So he says it again, that you should remember 
There's three times he's talked about the mind there. The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He says, I want you to remember what the prophets have said. I want you to remember the command that our Lord Jesus Christ has gave, and he also gave it through his apostles to speak to you. That's what I want you to remember. Knowing that this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So even 30 years out, 30 years out, they were saying, hey, wait a minute, he's not here. You guys keep talking about he's coming, but he's not come yet. And actually some of your the fathers, the apostles have died. They've died. And it's still just the same way as it was before. And they start scoffing. Well, how does Peter respond to this? Verse 5, he says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact. They overlooked this fact. That the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. It says they overlooked the fact that God spoke into existence heavens and the earth. Just by a word. They overlooked that fact also, and, by, and that by means of these, the world was, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Peter loves the flood. And he says the same God that created the world by a word also destroyed the world by a flood. The same world that he created. Verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the God ungodly. So he's saying that the same God that created the world by a word and then destroyed the world by a flood, is it's that same God who has told us that the world is going to end someday this way, by his word. Now, in verse 8, he does something interesting. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. See, he's talking about the ones that do not believe, saying this is what they do. They overlook the fact. Then he says to the beloved, the Christians, he says, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord one day as, is as or like a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. That's a simile. That's, a, that's a, any time that you compare man to God, you always have to amplify God, okay? So that's what he's doing there. He's saying one day to God is like a thousand years to us. I mean, he's got to throw a number in there. Don't take that literally like, oh, God's days are a thousand years. That's not what it says there, okay? He's using it to say that God's time is not the same as our time. And we should be very thankful that God's time is not the same as our time. For the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward those, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So we should be very thankful when we look at that red zone, that that red zone is so long. In our eyes, in our thinking, wow, this seems slow. This seems slow. But God doesn't think that way. And God is very patient so that in that red zone, he is still seeking to save the lost. That's what's happening there. He goes on to say, but the day of the Lord will come. Hear that will? Will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. 
and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. See how determinative Peter is there? These things are going to happen. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? What kind of people ought you to be knowing what God has said first in creation, knowing what God did in the flood, knowing what God has said in his word by how the world is going to end? How should we be in that red zone? How should we be as people of God in that red zone? He says, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, this is the most part of, beautiful part of this, according to his promise, the guy who, the Lord, the God, who by a word created everything, at the same dismissal, destroyed everything in the flood, who recreated everything, who says this is how it's going to end, his same word, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, that's the word we stand on in the red zone. That's the word that we stand on in the red zone, is that those who are his children will be with him in, in the age to come. So how do we live in the red zone? That was a, like a long intro, wasn't it? Verse 7. Therefore, I'm going to give you four things. He gives four practical things here. I'm going to zip right through them. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. First thing that we need to do in the red zone, we need to engage our head or our mind. We need to engage our head or our mind. He, when he says self-controlled and sober-minded, it means literally calm, collected, and of sound mind. That's how we are to be in the red zone. He has already said this in chapter 1, verse 13. This focus on our mind. In verse chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our minds are set on the age to come, that He is coming again. Our mind is set on that. And we go away from ignorance, and we go into that whole area of knowledge knowing how we have been saved. How have we been saved? Not, not by silver or gold. Not by anything that perishes. But only by the imperishable what? Blood of Jesus Christ. We need to get our minds thinking about that. In verse, uh, in last chapter, um, chapter one, or chapter four, verse one, says he started out since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh or died on the cross arm yourselves with the same way of thinking thinking what's that involved yeah your mind your head your head that's there and then he puts on the for the sake of your prayers and i hope i drew this out enough last time what is our prayer what was the prayer that he was stressing over and over and over and over again to the first century gentile christians he was stressing that there would be people in group two, those who do not believe, that would move over into group one, those who would believe. He was pray His prayer was that they, there would be conversion. The people's eyes would be open and they would see Jesus as the Messiah. And they would turn to him and, and surrender their lives to him. All the way through this, I 
pointed out there, verse 6, the last verse we read last week, that they might live as the Spirit, the Spirit, the way that God does, that they would also be believers. That's what our prayer is. So when we're in the red zone, we're in this last times, we're in this engagement area, we need to get our minds focused on that, that we are praying for people's conversion. We are people praying for people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That's, we don't want that hindered. So I put down that question, what in my thinking needs to change? As I'm going along in life, and now that I realize, wait a minute, we're in the red zone, we're in the red zone, what, what in my thinking needs to change? Well, let me give you an example. Many people, when they think about work, when they think about their work, when they think about their job, they think, you know, we're working for the weekend, right? Yeah, nine to five. Yeah. But as a Christian, what should you be thinking of in your workspace, knowing that you're in the red zone? Knowing that the next thing to come is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And his word says, this is what's going to happen. Should my thinking change? Instead of nine to five, I mean, should it be more of, wait a minute, I've got an opportunity, let's say a typical job, five days a week, eight hours a day, to be around a certain group of people over and over and over again, and I realize that I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I'm a light of him, and, and, and I, I need to let my light shine for him, and, and there's going to be some opportunities for me to do good deeds in his behalf, and maybe there's going to be some opportunities where that person asks, what's the hope that is within me? You know, what makes you tick kind of thing? And you get an opportunity to speak to them about Jesus Christ. See what I mean about changing our thinking? And I think we need to change our thinking about all areas of life. We need to change our thinking about our marriage and our, our relationship with our spouse. We need to change our thinking many times uh, about uh, being a student in school as a follower of Jesus Christ in the red zone, in the red zone. I think we need to change sometimes our thinking about church, overall church, and how we think as a church in light of being in the red zone, in that engagement time that's here. And I think this is the most important, this is the first one that needs to happen because if we start thinking, wait a minute, I, my main, one of my main prayers needs to be the conversion of people, that they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, now that I'm praying that, you go to the next verse. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. After I've got my mind thinking about the right thing, now I get my heart engaged. I get my heart engaged to this. You'll notice that that's the fourth command that Peter gave them all the way back in chapter 1, verse 22 when he said, have purifying your souls by your obedience to the truth that you responded to the gospel for a sincere brotherly love. So you responded to the gospel to love others, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, from a pure heart. He says that kind of love that you have for others will cover a multitude of sins. When James talks about this in James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, and I'm going to flip there and read that one to you. He, he's talking to, uh, to brothers. He's talking Christian to Christian. 
And he uses that phrase. So he says in verse 19, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back. So there's a Christian who has wandered from the truth. There's a Christian who is not walking in the ways of, of God and he's wandered from the truth. And you, you bring him back. He says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways. So yeah, it would be someone, if you're not walking in the ways of Christ, you're sinning and you're, and you're anyone, whoever turns a sinner back from the error of his ways will save him from death. Because some of, the, some of those sins lead to death. I mean, it, it, sin unleashed just continues to grow and grow and grow. And then he says, and cover a multitude of sins. If you have this opportunity to be able to come up along a brother or sister in Christ who is wandering from God and bring them back and show them, no, you need to get back and step with God. Wow, you just save them from death and a multitude of sins because if sin goes unchecked, What's it going to do? Boom, 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 boom. It's going to keep growing and growing and growing. Now, Peter uses it a little bit differently in this passage when he says that your love for others covers a multitude of sins. Remember last week, we read a multitude of sins. In chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For this time is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Here's the list living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking party, and lawless idolatry. That's a multitude of sins, okay? Then it goes on, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them, he describes it this way, in the same flood of debauchery. That's a multitude of sins, flood of debauchery. And then on top of that, they malign you. They put another sin right on, on top of that. There's the list, and they also malign you, but he's saying, in the red zone, I want you to have a love for them. Now that your mind is set on the right thing that I'm praying for conversion, my heart goes out to this one, even this one who has maligned me. And that kind of love that you can have for them covers a multitude of sin. Probably everybody's wondering, what's, what's this? My wife's suitcase. When we come to Jesus Christ, when we come to Jesus Christ, we're carrying, we're carrying a baggage. We're, we're carrying a bunch of baggage. Maybe some of you have two. <laughs> we come to Jesus Christ, and, and, but Jesus Christ tells us to do what with the baggage? Yeah, yeah. You, you can leave that there. You can leave that there. You don't need that anymore. Now, sometimes, though, what happens is even though Jesus says that, even though Jesus says that we keep carrying it, you know, we keep carrying it. But, but eventually, hopefully, we realize that what Jesus has said is he has said. Uh, that, that what that was before no longer applies to you. It is no longer tied to you. Kind of thing. Now, can we do the same thing? When we are loving people who have maligned us, when we have loving pe people who have a lot of baggage, man. I mean, man, they're carrying two suitcases. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. Does your love cover a multitude of sins? Can you, can you say, like Jesus, no, you're a brother in Christ now. You're a sister in Christ now. He has forgiven you of that. He has forgiven you of that. I have too. And, and I don't hold that against you anymore. You're, you're someone who, have, 
who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, now you're a brother or sister in Christ. Probably the greatest example of this in the Scriptures is Paul is writing to his friend Philemon. And Philemon had a slave that ran away. His name was Onesimus. And Onesimus ran into Paul. <laughs> and when he ran into Paul in a whole other city, Paul was in prison. He got saved. And what did Paul do? Well, Paul discipled him to the point of saying, you know what you need to do, Onesimus? You need to go back to Philemon. And you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to go back because what you did was wrong and you need, to, you need to go back. But he's writing to Philemon. And he's saying, Philemon, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you, but, but don't accept him as a slave anymore. No, I want you to accept him as a brother in Christ. Yeah, what he did to you was wrong. What he did to you was wrong, but now he's a brother in Christ coming back to you. And he has served me so well in prison. I almost like don't want to send him back because he's treating me so well in prison. I don't want to send him back, but I know I need to. But I need you, Philemon, because you have such a love for people to be converted that you see him totally different now. And, and don't see the baggage anymore. Love covers a multitude of sins. He goes from your head to your heart. Now he's going to switch you to your hands. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we need to, if we have our head right, we're thinking right, then our heart is right for those that we're reaching out to. Now our hands can do their thing. Uh, hospitality means generous to guests or strangers. Um, and you know these verses. I mean, that's all through the Bible. How many times uh, Jesus and, and the other writers tell us how we are to be toward one another? Um, this one's a really famous one, uh, Matthew 25, starting at verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Yeah, we are to be hospitable to one another. Hebrews 13.2, this one's really good. Because we, we never really realize how far that hospitality goes when we show that kind of hospitality. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. That's hospitality. That's the word there. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Whoa. It goes way beyond what we, we think it is. Well, I'm just doing this. No, it's way beyond that. Luke chapter 14 Jesus gives a teaching here to a host. He's at a party, and he instructs him in uh, verse 12. Said, Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, then they may invite you back, so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous in the age to come, I would add that, in the age to come. He says do this without grumbling, without murmuring, without muttering. And really, I think that's the only way that you can do it is if I have my head engaged, my mind engaged, 
thinking of conversion, I have my heart engaged, loving them in such a way um, for them to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I get my hands engaged and I can do it without grumbling, without muttering and, and, and murmuring. Um, let me jump to that 2 Corinthians chapter 9. How are we to give? Chapter 9, verse 7, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, so not grumbling about it, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And then if you want it right smack in the face, you go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Yeah, that, that, you can't get any around that one. Do it without complaining or arguing, so that they may that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, red zone, in which you shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. There's the defense that you have, the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. This the year the age to come. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering in the red zone, in the red zone, on sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad to rejoice with all of you. So you too shall be glad and rejoice with me, with me. So I've got my head engaged, my mind engaged, that I'm praying for others to be converted. And I've got my heart engaged, I'm, my heart is engaged that that, that I love them so much that when they get converted, when they do turn to faith in Jesus Christ, I see them now at, not as they were before. They are a brother or sister in Christ now along with me. And now my hands are engaged. My hands are engaged to be generous toward others. Then he gives us the last one. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good servants, stewards of God's varied grace. We need to engage the Holy Spirit. You need to engage the Holy Spirit. Great verse here. As each has received a gift. A gift comes from someone else, so it's not something that you have created, right? You, you have received this gift. It has come from somewhere else. You And as each, meaning each one, each one of us has this gift, and has received, that's past tense. So if you're saved, you have received, you have received a gift from the Holy Spirit. He says that we are to use that gift to serve others. So it's not ours just to hold on to. It's not ours to just say, see what one I got, you know, kind of thing. No, it's to actually be used. How do I use it? I use it as good stewards of God's very grace. I, I manage that gift because what people are going to see is they're going to see God's buried grace through the gift that has been given to me that I am using to serve others. Okay? Probably a good verse chapter to go to is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. No, chapter 12, sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Oh, man, there we go. Verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, notice that, each one. Peter says each, Paul says each. Each one 
the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's saying you receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, not for yourself, but it's to be used for the common good of others. Peter says use it to serve others. Then if you go down to verse 11, all these are the work of one in the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one. There he says it again. Each one, just as, and if you're reading along, he determines. Are you the one that determines it? No. He's the one that determines it. You're the one that uses it. You're the one that uses it. So Peter goes on to explain just a little bit more about spiritual gifts here. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. What Peter does is he makes it really simple. Paul, Paul has all these different things. Peter says there's two kinds of gifts. It's either a speaking gift or a serving gift. Either a speaking gift or a serving gift. And this lines up with what he's been teaching all through this book, is that serves lines up with our conduct. He tells us our conduct needs to be holy, honorable. Speaking lines up with our words when we have an opportunity to say something on his behalf. But each one of these, if I speak or if I serve, it's always pointing people to God. So whether I have a speaking gift from the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not telling them what I feel or what I think. No, speak to them God's very words. And if you have a serving gift, if you have a serving gift, make sure that you're, they're going to want to pat you on the back. They're, they want to pat you on the back. They want to clap for you and, and everything else. But, and you have to stop and say, but yeah, okay, but I want you to know that the reason I'm doing this is because I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And even being able to do this is because of the power that he has supplied me to do this, to do this. So whether it's speaking or serving, it's always pointing people to Jesus. And he ends it this way, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now that sounds like it would be the end of the sermon, but Peter's a good preacher and he'll have another message next Sunday because he just keeps right on going. But let me put it this way. In the red zone, in the red zone, this is what Peter's saying. In the red zone, need to, I need to engage my head. I need to engage my mind to think the way Jesus is thinking about who he's going to die for. Okay? I need to engage my heart with a love for conversion. That's what needs to happen in the red zone. We need to have such a love for people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I need to engage my hands in acts of generosity. I tell you, if your head's right and your heart's right, God's going to put those things right in your path. He's going to plant people right in your path for you to show acts of generosity to them. And then I need to engage the Holy Spirit to them through this gift that has been given to me. And where do I do this? He said, in everything. In everything of your life. So in, going back with my deeds, with my defense, and need be, even my death, that it would point people to Jesus Christ. It would point people to Jesus Christ. I, I would hope I would hope, uh, well, let me give you a, a final story here. Um, 
So there was a man uh, in the church in Gaylord, Michigan. There was a church plant that we, we did there. Um, he came down with cancer the same time I did. He was older than I was. He came down with cancer the same time I did. Steve Brewer is his name. And um, Steve, Steve died of the same cancer that I had. Um, but before he died, um, he had to take early retirement, uh, and, and it was, he was just about ready to retire. And, but he had a list. And he showed me the list. He said, these are all the people I need to talk to before I die because I need to tell them about Jesus Christ. And I tell you, he started, and, and he was in no shape to do this, but he started visiting. You know, now he's retired, so he doesn't have to go to work. He started going down that list to every one of those people on that list to tell them about Jesus Christ. And I mean, there are times that he shouldn't have probably, but he, but he did. He got toward the end on hospice in his home, went to visit him, and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, um, there's going to be a lot of people at this funeral. And a lot of the people that I've worked with all my life, he was a manager in this one area, he says, and there's going to be a lot of people there. I need you to tell them about Jesus Christ. And I said, yeah, that's no problem, Steve. <laughs> that's, that's no problem whatsoever. Came the day of the funeral. Um, he wanted Amazing Grace played, and um, so, and the church was packed. And I mean, it was uh, he, you know, dying at that age. Um, more people know you, kind of thing. Dying after being in a management position, his whole workforce was there. Okay, they played uh, Amazing Grace. They reeled. The, I mean, everything in that service was pointing to Jesus Christ. And yeah, got up and told them about Jesus Christ. But what was aided by that, what was aided by that was that man's life. His, his words, his service toward them, and even his death pointed to Jesus Christ. And there were people in that service that reported back to his widow. They came to faith in Jesus Christ. They made the decision. They responded to Jesus' call in that service. I, every time I think, I think about Steve, wow, even in death, it was a tremendous witness pointing to Jesus Christ. May that be all of us, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, may that be all of us, that the, even at the end of life, that one of the greatest things that they would say about you is that person was a follower of Jesus. I saw it in their actions. I heard it in their words even to the end, even, even uh, some type of service that's made up that it pointed to Jesus Christ, it pointed to him. Well, I couldn't help but think um, of this song when I was doing this sermon. Fanny Crosby wrote a ton of songs and, and when she was blind. And so in her songs, if you watch very closely, you will see where she talks about sight. She will talk about sight in those songs because who's the first person she's going to see? Jesus, yes, the first person she's going to see. But this song is so great. I'm going to zip to the third verse here. This is where you see that. But I also see in this song, it comes right from the scriptures, where we're talking about the, this age, but then there's an age to come. 
So would you stand with me? And we're going to sing this third verse and song. And, and the worship team, come on up, because we're going to sing one more song after we're done with this. But do you know this? Great things He has taught us. Great things He hath done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory, great things He hath done. Now you're all standing and ready to sing the final song. This is another song that really points us to think about Him. Think about Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, it is challenging to think about in everything, in everything. But if anything this morning, Lord, I pray that we would realize what zone we are in, that we are in the red zone, just as those were that Peter was writing to, and that we do need to engage our mind to be thinking about the age to come, to engage our heart for the love of those that you have put around us, that we can show deeds of generosity with our hands and show the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gift through us that they might see the grace of God. Lord, use us in the red zone. In thy precious name, amen. Well, thank you, Adam. I uh, have a couple of reminders for you. Number one, uh, this after this service, or after the second service, if any of you don't understand what the deacon's motions are about, uh, they're going to be in the library after the second service to answer any last-minute questions. Uh, the second thing I'd remind you of is next Sunday after the second service, November 6th, is a real critical time for everybody to be here. Uh, I hope by now you've you've studied the motions and you have clear in your head uh, what the future, what the vision of the of the elders is, and uh, hopefully uh, understand what the what the uh, the uh, budget is all about. So be here and exercise your votes. And if you have any questions, just ask one of us again. Uh, the other thing is, is uh, I've read the Bible several times myself, and you know Jesus was great at. Uh, explaining to people his issues, his points, by using parables. But I never heard of the parable of the red zone. <laughs> he talked about sheep, he talked about wheat, he talked about goats and lost pearls, but, but I never heard the one about the red zone. But it hit my heart, and, and uh, because I played football when I was still able to play football, and I can remember the red zone. I can remember the 80 yards, possibly 80 yards to get to that red zone. And I remember how critical it is to exercise the most expert 
athletic ability that you have in that last 20 yards. It requires concentration. It requires focus. And it requires unity. And above all things, it requires knowledge of the playbook. This is what we've studied all our life is this playbook. So remember it's there. And I would say, may God be with you the rest of the week, but I know he's going to be with you. He's going to be with all of us. Just recognize that, recognize his presence, and have a wonderful week. See you next week.